This is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. Get along down the road. We got a long, long way to go. Scared to live, scared to die. We ain't perfect, but we try. Get along. talking about this week well this week marks the beginning of early voting here in massachusetts we're only a couple of weeks out from the november 3rd election and so we're going to take it more of a state level view uh, for this segment we're going to run through the massachusetts ballot Uh, there are a few races of note that we'll touch on and we'll also touch on the the two ballot questions that are being presented to voters in a couple of weeks or i guess you know starting this week Uh, so where do you want to begin with that I think we got to begin with something that I feel like I should, as a concerned citizen and a active participant in democracy, know something about. Let's start with the ballot questions. All right, I think that's a that's a fair self assessment, uh, and even for myself, it's it's required you know some work and some digging to try to figure out what these these ballot questions are about. You know, I was telling you before, you know, one of our close friends, uh, super. Not only super educated, but informed voter went and voted on the first day of early voting a couple days ago and came back and said, yeah, I didn't vote on question one because I didn't know what it was about. And your reaction to that was... Yeah, not shocking. Not shocking, but also like kind of kudos to him, right? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Then yeah. he skipped it without knowing. Yeah, right. It's sure. like as opposed to just casting a vote, which could be consequential mm-hmm. on a you know type ballot question where you really have no idea what you're talking about. So I, I do think... Which is not what we would assume kind of the majority of people do. People, right. People are taking this like a multiple choice test. Exactly. With no, no penalties for wrong answers. Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's kind of a larger conversation <laughs> about like voters and informed voters in general, right? Um, which we certainly don't need to have now. But I think the the thing is that some of these ballot questions end up being really consequential for our state and for any state that has ballot questions. And um, unfortunately, you know, both of us are you know, fairly educated, informed people and the people we surround ourselves with as well. And if we don't fully comprehend or, or even aware of what these questions are about, that makes me a little nervous about the electorate at large. So... At least for this podcast, we can dive into it and see if we can formulate what these questions are really about and formulate some halfway educated opinions about them. Yeah, and I think um, I'm going give, to give the floor back to you to, to teach me a little something about, at least about question one. I feel like I have a decent uh, grasp on question two, ranked choice voting. But I think it, I think it does, you know, as you were saying, just sort of allude to a a greater issue and perhaps uh, uh, a knock on democracy is that, you know, if everybody gets a vote and if the biggest drive that we have here is you're constantly seeing people to just get out the vote, get out the vote. If you don't actually have an educated electorate, are you really, you know, uh, are you likely to get the best outcomes that actually beneficially impact the majority of people? Or are you really flipping a coin when people are walking into that booth with no yeah. clue what So this is on? this is a conversation that we definitely need to have at some point. The time is not now because I think you and I have had this conversation oh, before. Certainly. And, and I've we, fallen on the wrong side. Right. You, you say it's, it's we fall on sides where I don't think 
people that know us would expect us to follow on yeah, that. Right. All right, but we'll, we'll save that because that, that is an interesting conversation that is worth having at some point. Maybe next year, like in a kind of in, if we're still doing this in a year, yeah. and do it in like an off year, that could be a good time to do it. Yeah, yeah, All right. for sure. So Massachusetts question one is called the quote-unquote right to repair law, uh, which is the vehicle data access requirement initiative. And from my understanding, this would go into place starting with cars that are models 2022 and later. And essentially most models at that point, and even most models today, have these data systems that are part of the car. So you and I actually, funnily enough, just bought the same car last year. <laughs> um, and we know that we have data system that's part of that car, right? Mm -hmm. um, and right now, the data systems go straight to the manufacturers. So if you um, have a Chevy or a Ford or a Hyundai or whatever, the data from your car goes to those manufacturers. And that means when you want to get a repair done on your car, you tend to want to go to the manufacturer's repair shops because they have the most information about your car, right? And so because they have the most information, they can provide the best care. Obviously, the, the con of that is one, like you don't necessarily get the right to choose your mechanic, and two, dealership mechanics tend to be more expensive than, say, a, a local mechanic you know, down the street from you. And so a, a yes vote on question one would mean that the data that's currently going to the manufacturers would actually be uploaded to an open source platform where no matter what the make of your car, any registered mechanic would be able to access it. So you bring your Chevy, Chevy in or your Hyundai in or your, um, your Ford in and the mechanic with your permission would be able to go and access the data from your car and able to, to fix it. Now. The a no vote would just leave it as it is right now, the status quo. Uh, the This has actually been kind of like fiercely debated across the airwaves. Like a lot of money has gone into this. And I don't a know, have you seen it? A lot of money. Yeah. Uh, I'm not totally sure like the dollar amount, but uh, it's been a lot on TV, um, which is interesting for a number of reasons because you wouldn't necessarily think that this was going to be a super controversial issue, but also the ads that you see on TV. Uh, the fact that we've seen so many ads and we don't still didn't really understand what this is about, I think, tells us something. So, in my opinion, there's a lot of money coming in from car manufacturers, like the, the dealerships, right? And it makes total sense. They want to keep their mini monopolies that they have on, on the right to repair and their mechanics. I totally get that. But the tact that they have taken in urging us to vote no is... Uh, an interesting one to say the least and it's basically saying that if data gets uploaded to this open source platform anybody can get it and particularly if you're thinking about oh, a battered spouse or um, a sexual assault victim you're thinking about these predators um, who would potentially be able to access the data of you know, a, a wife or a girlfriend or someone that, you know, they wanted to attack. Location-based. Location-based data, loca location data and, and track this person as they go. And that's been the main argument that I've seen on TV against this. Uh, so I guess, I guess I've said a lot. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. Uh, thoughts what, on any of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it is important in any question to that that's governing sort of a new policy to try and understand what are what are some of the potential downstream implications right so right to repair is really talking about sort of liberalizing access to 
um, diagnostic data from your car. Um, the way that car manufacturers are sort of thinking about the future is that these cars are essentially connected hotspots, Wi-Fi connected kind of hotspots to begin with. So rather than wait for you to drive your car into the mechanic to download that data, we're just gonna have that car kind of ping us information about it. And so rather than waiting for your brakes to completely wear out and stop working, we can tell you, hey, it looks like you know your brakes based on the speed that you're stopping or whatever, they're not working as well as they should be. Why don't you come in, we'll fix your brakes before the problem happens, right? This kind of predictive maintenance. Um, you see that in, in a lot of different fields uh, that we're talking about with sort of mechanical systems, it's the internet of things making us able to sort of take uh, proactive measures rather than reactive, right? So on the face of it, multiple sources having access to that data gives consumers better choice, um, sort of, as you were saying, frees you from having to go to the manufacturers, right? Like all those things sound good. What is the potential downside? Potential downside is there's more data out there. We don't know necessarily who might have access to that data. There could be some sort of scary implications for that. I think I think it is important for people to consider to try and consider all these things. But I think what what you said is 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 equally important, if not scarier, in that it hasn't been transparent who the money has been coming from that has been promoting the fact that this uh, this bill, the right to repair bill is really going to expose everybody's location data to sort of the dark web where sexual predators or um, you know abusive husbands can get to it and then track you. Um, I think like it takes a lot of inferences and 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 really leaps to get from my mechanic can get my information yeah. to like anybody and everybody knows where I am all the time. And I think even in the in the whatever the there's like a document that gets sent to that red book the red book for information for voters the argument against is is quote question one has nothing to do with fixing cars question one is a data grab by third parties who want to gather your personal vehicle information and access it remotely including location data in real time and this is by a guy from the coalition for safe and secure data which I would really wonder if that existed prior to this bill coming out. Sounds good, though. It does sound (laughs) good. It sounds good. And it's something that you see all the time in these ads Mm -hmm. at the bottom. And like the, you know, yeah, safe and secure data, keeping America safe. I'm for from, that. I'm are, yeah, for are you things. against yeah, yeah. sexual predators or not? Exactly. Yeah. That's how it's been presented mm-hmm. on TV. Mm-hmm. And I, I think to your point is that it is good to step back and just not glance at like the first glance at that. Be like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, why would I not vote yes for that? And you should step back and say, what are the, the potential cons to a rule change like that? I totally agree. But. It's. It feels like it's just been a scare tactic, right? Oh, like, 100%. you know, and I don't want to minimize the possibility that you know something like something tragic could potentially happen um, with this, but you know, potentially tragic things could happen all the time yeah. with or without this. You they know? could just follow you, right? <laughs> so, like, I, I, I don't know. It just feels like, to your point, that you know, are you against sexual predators? Are you against like abusive husbands? Well, then vote vote no on this, right? And it's like. That's not what it's about. And to, to have the audacity to say that this is not about a right to repair, I mean, that's just 
doesn't seem to me to be true. <laughs> like, I mean, it actually does seem to be about the right to repair. You can disagree on the pros and cons of that, but the the name of the bill does seem to be what it portends to be. It, right. Well, so so then you got to wonder, what is the problem with, like, I guess the the system at large as it stands, right? Is it more, I mean, obviously sort of the scare tactics are troubling when they really don't seem to have you know it it is a bit of a stretch to really get to that place but it it has been hammering on the airwaves like anytime you catch a uh an info infomercial is not the right word just like a a paid advertisement about this bill if it's vote no it's like for your safety vote no and the idea that this can this this sort of funding for these types of advertisements can sort of through back channels come from auto manufacturers who are saying like we have kind of a regulated monopoly over Mm -hmm. this information or not regulated we have a monopoly over this information we it's like a nice source of of us to be able to sort of capture a corner of the market and and many auto manufacturers are thinking about this in a way uh just sort of like thinking about the future of their product right like car sales in general um are just getting more difficult as people move into cities and cars uh you know people aren't owning multiple cars or cars of large sizes that were once big money makers so automakers are thinking all right well we can do things like subscription systems by saying that we'll contact you about your data but now Mm -hmm. if everybody has that data you no longer need to pay us for it right so there are big money reasons why they would want to stop this but the average voter really I mean, and and the people who are saying yes are saying the reason that you're hearing votes no are because it's coming from the car manufacturers, but it is this, like, loop that's very difficult for consumers to understand, and, I mean, not that this is, <clears throat> this is the, really the right forum for this discussion, but I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with how we think about money in politics mm-hmm. in general, just in general. Yeah. The what what was the ruling? The citizen uh, citizens united. Citizens united, yeah. uh, right? So that is something that I mean, it comes out here. I I don't know if you recall the the previous ballot question we had um, with like the number of nurses in a yeah. particular. Yeah. I mean, it, that was a another one where it was just like, but both sides were telling you that like either we're just going to shut down all these hospitals, and so then like people are going to die because they won't get to hospitals. Or they will get to a hospital, but the nurses will be so overwhelmed that they won't be able to see them. So then they'll die there. And, like, that's all you're just getting bombarded with is, like, if you vote yes, everyone's dying. If you vote no, everyone's dying. And it's, like... Right, you had nurses on both sides. And you had nurses on both sides. Yeah, I was like, okay, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I guess, I mean, we can table that conversation again. We keep coming up with these ideas. (laughs) We should write these things down. I know. Uh, (laughs) But, so, I do think there is... A legitimate argument if you kind of take the scare tactics away about privacy and how, you know, increasingly as technology gets better and better, people are more willing to give up their privacy. And, and we see that, you know, with our with our internet searches, with our cell phones, we see that with inviting Alexa into our home, right? And this is just another kind of step along that line. And to me, it, it doesn't bother me. It, and like, yeah. And, and so like, I, I have nothing necessarily to worry about giving up the data of my car it doesn't seem like it has any downsides to me but 
I mean, I do think there's a privacy argument to be made here that, you know, we are continuing to vote to give up more and more privacy to yeah. other people. And that's a fair argument to make. And if that's the reason you vote no on this, I can totally respect that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's it's like we we voted with our dollars to give away our privacy in hundreds of different ways. This particular instance doesn't seem like it's any more likely to give up your privacy than what you do with your cell phone or yeah. what you do like with an Alexa yeah. or any of that sort of stuff. And also the fact that this data, if it already resides with these car manufacturers, it's, out it's there. Out there. Yeah, exactly. So it exists. So if a hacker yeah. can get to whatever open source platform they decide to put it on, I'm sorry, but they could probably get to the car manufacturer's data thing too. So I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I would really love to know like who is behind the coalition for safe and secure data and they were like it wasn't just one all these ads had different things to do with data security data privacy something or other making it sound like this is the only like this is a real legitimate concern and it i mean i haven't seen anything to show me that i should be more concerned about my car data going to a mechanic right. than any other data that I already put out. No, there. I totally agree. And I think the pros of this, the, the vote for yes, is it helps local mechanics. Um, it, it keeps these, you know, not that they're all mom and pop shop businesses, but a lot of them are and they're just kind of like your neighbors and people that are that have, you know, that we've grown up with that are now mechanics. Um, it, it helps them um, at least be competitive with these big time manufacturers in terms of accessing the the data that you talked about uh, and it also continues to give consumers more choices and i'm always in favor of that it, it feels like a very kind of capitalist system to me where you know businesses are able to be competitive and if the chevy dealership still has better mechanics for a better price i'll still go there but if you know if everyone has access to equal data and i know the person down the street and they do a better job for a lower price i can go there i i mean the, the pros to this in my opinion, far away the cons. I'm gonna vote yes on it. Yeah, unfortunately, we're not disagreeing on this, but um, that's not an unfortunate thing. <laughs> it's good every once in a while. Yeah, we agree yeah. on this thing. So we had two yes For votes sure. on one. All right, all right. Then of course the choice is yours. You can get with this, or you can get with that. You can get with this, or you can get with that. You can get with this, or you can get with that. I think you get with this because this is where it's at. All right, so what about question two? I think it's arguably the more important valid question, but it's been getting a lot less coverage. Yeah, I don't even think it's arguable. This would be a seismic change in how Massachusetts conducts elections. Uh, but telling, to your point in money and politics earlier, that it's getting far less coverage. Uh, so question two is ranked choice voting. And a yes vote would enact ranked choice voting um, for primary and general elections for statewide and federal elections here in Massachusetts and no vote would keep the Not status quo the same. Not for the presidency though, right? Correct. It's for the federal congressional and Senate right, seats. Right. right. Not for the presidency. Um, it's a good clarification. So ranked choice voting, I feel like it's become kind of a buzzword in the last, you know, five, ten years or so, but can be kind of overwhelming to understand. So I'll try to walk through it a little bit and feel free to hop in yeah. with, you know, anything you think I'm missing or that you want to add. So ranked choice voting is has a good title because it, it is like it sounds. So right now we go into the booth and we vote for one candidate for any, any race, right? We 
you know, we vote for Biden or Trump or Jorgensen or whomever. We have one vote. So ranked choice voting means that instead of one vote, we'll have the opportunity to rank all of the candidates in terms of preference. So I could go Trump one, Biden two, Jorgensen three, or, you know, Trump one, Jorgensen two, Biden three, or you said or, Trump or. won a lot. Is that what you mean? <laughs> no, we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> not the point. Uh, but the point is that you're able to rank all of the candidates. And what happens is if one of the candidates gets over 50% of the vote on the ballot, then it's over. The race is over. Right, we have that that candidate has a clear majority. So whether there's two people, fifty percent of one of first choice votes, correct. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so fifty percent of, of first choice votes, uh, then the race is over. The that candidate has a majority, just like it is now in our traditional election. You have fifty percent, you, you've won the, the race, and that is true whether there are two candidates, five candidates, ten candidates. Uh, now, where ranked choice voting really comes in is if a candidate fails to get. 50% of the first place votes on the first ballot. Uh, this often happens in elections when there are more than two candidates. Um, but even when there are two candidates, you could still have, you know, a 48, 46 with, you know, write-ins or something like that. Um, but it, it often is more applicable when there are more people running. And in that case, so say... Uh, it's, this is not going to the, the presidential election race, as you said. But, for example, let's say that in Massachusetts, you know, Biden gets 46 percent of the vote, Trump gets 38 percent of the vote, and Joe Jorgensen gets 16 percent of the vote, something like that, on the first ballot. Joe Jorgensen is now eliminated. She's the clear third place candidate. And we're going to go to the number two votes on all of the people that voted for Joe Jorgensen first. So... If you voted for Joe Jorgensen first, you know, she's eliminated. We're going to look at your second place vote. And if you voted for Biden here, we're going to add that into Biden's column. And if you voted for Trump, we're going to add it into Trump's column. If at that point, Biden is now over 50%, he's won the election. And, you know, it goes on down the line. I think it just makes it more complicated to try to talk about it like that. But essentially, the, the race continues until one candidate gets over 50% of the vote. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is um, certainly a seismic shift in the way that we think about things. I think it's really gotten a lot of steam following the nomination of Trump from a crowded Republican field where, yes, he beat out the other 15 freaking people that were running, but he had 26% of the vote. And yeah. at that point in the election, you know, at that point in the cycle, there were far more never-Trumpers than there were people who were, I mean, than, than what you see today. Right. right. And it was, sorry to interrupt, but like, no. there, there were people that were split. And this is kind of the, if you think there's a problem with our current system in terms of the traditional voting system, this would, this is exhibit A of it, where Trump has a solid 25 to 35% of the vote. And it's not even close to a majority. The other 75% might hate him and say, I'm never going to vote for him. Right. But those 75% are split, you know, 10% for Jeb Bush, 10% for Marco Rubio, 10% yeah. um, for John Kasich, right? And what happens is none of those candidates get enough and Trump continues to rack up electoral college votes. And because he has a 25 to 35% you know, plurality there, he becomes the nominee and subsequently the president, despite, you know, rarely winning a majority right. of any election that he was in. No, yeah, I, he, I, he certainly did not. And I think, I think, I think the benefits that we look at are that in a crowded field um, where 
people may identify with certain candidates who they want to show support for, but those candidates do not really have a realistic choice of winning, you can start to, to add some nuance to how you are um, to, to voting, right? Like, like we said, the, the never Trumpers who are voting for Marco Rubio might have had like Jeb Bush, like Trump might have been like seven or eight on their list, right? Right, and so um, I think there 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 are a lot of benefits, especially in the current environment that we have, where we constantly worried about about um, moderate voices getting pushed out because there are in in many ways there are more moderate voices than there are extreme voices that are really able to capture those extremes of the market but that dilutes their value and they really have difficulty like we've we've talked about sort of the races to the right and the races to the left it is in part because you can energize particular parts of your of sort of the whatever republican or democratic constituencies but it's also because moderate voices tend to have a lot of <laughs> similar ways of thinking about issues um but they're never they're not hugely differentiated i think in massachusetts the race to take over uh kennedy's congressional seat was Great a example. huge one yeah. or you know the district attorney so like you got 10 people almost all of right. them are saying the same exact thing right. um have and trying to have people decide between those options is uh is very difficult i think one of the things i did want to talk about quickly is what they sort of put in that voter information guide as um as a you know a reason against you know why you might vote against ranked choice votings and so the quote is two democratic governors rejected rejected ranked choice voting because it was confusing and denied voters informed choice so i think that's interesting i'm wondering what you what your thoughts are on it this, this kind of harkens back to what we alluded to earlier where I am always in favor of giving voters more choice and I am very much like a trust the voter and whether or not they're educated, I think our goal, our job as a society uh, is to make the average voter more educated. And there are a number of ways in which we could potentially do that. But I hate the argument of just being like the average voter is too dumb to figure it out. That's a, that's just stupid argument. It's a disrespectful argument in my opinion. Um, is it, new would it would it be new and would it be challenging for a few years absolutely and there would have to be a, a, a large-scale educational campaign about what ranked choice voting means and how to do it particularly for older people um, and it would have to be sustained over a period of years but if if this went through i guarantee you that like 18 year olds would be able to figure it out and then from then on every subsequent you know election that's just it would be how people voted and within a generation it wouldn't be new anymore it would just be how people voted and everyone would understand it yeah i mean that argument to me like holds zero water rank these people in the order in which you like them like, and you know it's what's... not confusing it, at all and if you don't want to rank them then write down one name write down you, one you're not forced to do anything yeah. you just want to vote for trump or just biden then just do that yeah. like it's yeah it's crazy yeah. it is that i mean like i i think we can have um arguments about in, informed voters or not but totally in agreement on that question and i think it's interesting because i want to say it is um unlike maybe you know some reforms to the electoral college i think ranked choice voting is something that should have relative bipartisan support 
Um, it doesn't. It doesn't, and I I I know that it. You know, well, maybe you can explain to me why, because I I don't I don't get that. I would think re- Republicans would also be interested in not having outcomes like having a Trump as the candidate. I think in like in general the sort of the especially the Republican establishment, who's I mean whatever they are today, is not really what they were in twenty sixteen. When, when we were talking about, oh, like, hey, sure. like, I don't know yeah. what this Trump thing is doing. Like, I would like to stop this, but he keeps winning the 26% of the vote that mm-hmm. he needs for that plurality. Yeah, I don't have a great argument, but the reason I, I chimed in and said that it wasn't doesn't have bipartisan support, where, one, I don't think either of the major parties support it, uh, the, the establishments of right. being a major party, which I understand, right? You, if you have a duopoly, you don't want to cede any of that power to, um, you know, moderate candidates or centrist candidates or... Um, Libertarians or Green parties or whomever, right? Like, why? I understand. It's the same reason that we don't have third party candidates on the debate stage. It's not because it's good for democracy. It's because the Republicans, Democrats want to keep their bases of power as the top two parties. But I think it gets more pushback from Republicans, at least from the Republican establishment. And again, I haven't thought this through really enough to make a good argument for you. But in my opinion, a lot of, a portion of the Republican umbrella are people that lean libertarian, I think. And uh, this, ranked choice voting is a big libertarian platform. They believe strongly in it. And I do think that in situations, you know, in a state where you have ranked choice voting, third party candidates, particularly, you know, potentially libertarian candidates are going to pick up a lot more of that vote. Where are they gonna pick up that vote from? Is probably from people that would maybe normally vote Republican. And so while both Republicans and Democrats are loath to give up power, it would potentially, and who knows 20 years from now how it would play out, but in the moment, it would seem to potentially affect the Republican establishment more. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see how that could be a concern because libertarians often are that third party, but I mean, you could easily see more Green Party or yeah. more... Social, social more like Democrat. options, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean, quite, quite frankly, it is a huge problem in our democracy that we don't have the adequate checks and balances anymore. Because when somebody gets put into office, whether they're Democrat or Republican, they have to have to toe the line, yeah. and they can no longer have like any, you know, critical thoughts about you know if if it's a Republican. Uh, senator, he can't be thinking critically about what the president is doing if the president's a Republican. And like, you know, say what you will about Republican senators for Donald Trump. I think it's I think it's party agnostic. It doesn't. I, I think I think what's happened over the last four years has really exposed the fact that people cannot no longer make real decisions um, on their own, like without their party's backing. Um, and they're just constantly worried about losing the base of voters uh, because they said or did something that may run counter to what either the main party platform is or what the president's party platform is. It's just a, um, it's a real sh- shame, to be honest, because you're no longer electing individuals in whom you have trust in their judgment in and mm-hmm. how they view the world. Yeah. It's like you're going into a ballot box and you're ch- you're checking off D or R. That's yeah. like it. And so in 
for these last few years, if I, there are people I know that were pretty much like, I will vote for no Republican for federal office. And you know what? I don't totally blame them because you knew a vote for Republican was basically a vote for Donald Trump because right. that's just how it is in Washington. There's not yeah. enough people on either side of the line that are stand up to the party, as, as you said. But to kind of build off your point is that, that now we're not voting for individuals at all. You right. could have a Republican that believes with that you agree with 75% of the time as compared to his Democratic opponent, but your reasons for not voting for him are totally legitimate in the current system. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, it is one of those things where, where like you think about some of the other governing systems, right? Like so... Israel's one that that comes to mind where they kind of have to form a coalition yeah, government. Yeah, but that's it's like wild. Yeah, about it. <laughs> yeah, which is in, which yeah. is insane. Um, well, not insane, but but an interesting twist on a system. Yeah. and I think you know in in Germany you have kind of coalition run um, parliaments as well, and and you see this in a, in a number of different areas where people are allowed to have or allowed to be more aligned to a party identity that is more nuanced than just like one or the other and i think one of the cool things about that which you know we haven't talked too much about but there becomes this uh problem in our own system where by definition if you as a democrat or if you know your democratic leaders believe something it is like almost incumbent upon the other party to say no like if i say yes you say no right like when we're talking about Obviously, there are differences in how we think about solutions to problems, but we've actually gotten to a place where if I say this is a problem, you say it's not a problem, and that's what we argue yeah. about. Um, and it's, you know, you see it with the coronavirus, you see it with, uh, you know, different different approaches to the economy in, in ways that... Climate change, climate, racial justice. Climate change, racial you know, justice. Second Amendment things. Right. Sorts of things. You're not yeah, allowed yeah. to think about these things in a nuanced way. No. Which allows you, which doesn't allow you to actually come up with a variety of solutions to these problems, which is the real. I mean, if we don't get out of that, we're going to be in a lot of. We're not just not going to go anywhere. Well, yeah, and that's it's the second time I've referenced this, but it's like an anti-capitalist kind of way to run a government where it's not uh, <laughs> a competition of ideas anymore. It's just two people on opposite sides of the aisle, as opposed to where if you had more voices from a Green Party or Libertarian that were getting elected, now we have more voices, we have more ideas. And maybe that idea isn't the best idea, but it forces other people to develop their ideas and come up with better ideas. But there's not a race of like, let's improve each other's ideas, right? It's you're wrong, I'm right type thing. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, so I think we're both- Back to ranked choice voting. Back to ranked choice voting. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's a fun exercise. Uh, yeah. But I'm still I'm still not done with this topic yet because it is really important and it seems to me like we're both on the same page with this. I'm gonna vote yes for it. Yeah, oh, a hundred percent. I don't think it's going to pass. I think mostly because people fear change and the people that vote are, tend to be the hardest core Republicans and Democrats. And so for a number of reasons, I don't think it's gonna pass. And I think that's disappointing and it's frustrating because this is something where if people really thought about it, I think would would really imp- it's one of the ways to in my opinion, like drastically and seismically improve our the democratic process and our democracy. And I don't think there are a lot of opportunities that come along on ballot questions to do that. And so let's at least make the case a little bit for why ranked choice voting, I think we've kind of talked about the issues in general, but like why ranked choice voting would be good for Massachusetts. So uh, 
we talked about this in our very first episode with primary campaigns, and you alluded to this earlier, how that, the race is to the, the right and to the left. If ranked choice voting existed, it wouldn't be the case because ranked choice voting forces you not to consolidate a small diehard plurality like we alluded to that Trump has, but often happens in uh, primaries for federal races in general. It forces you to have or work for majority support and to be as palatable to as many people as possible. And so even if I'm going out, I'm door knocking and I'm making phone calls and they're saying, well, I'm going to vote for the Democratic candidates. Okay, but at least listen to my ideas because now I'm competing for your second place vote, right? It forces candidates to work harder and reach more people for votes. And in doing that, it forces voters to listen to more voices, right? If you have in your head, I'm just voting for the Republican because I can only vote for one person, then, you know, the Green Party comes knocking your door. And you're like, oh, I actually kind of like that woman. Like, I, you know, maybe I'm not going to vote for her first, but I'd put her second, right? It gives candidates more opportunities and it gives voters more opportunities. It, it just seems to me like this would be a really good thing for the political system in Massachusetts. Yeah. I mean, even just in the within the party primaries to eliminate a lot of how we do primaries today which is like if there are five people running i don't need 50 percent. i'm going for 21 yeah. percent, and i'm going to say the the things that i know that will get those 21 percent of people angry and out to vote and i don't care who else i piss off because it doesn't matter right i could <laughs> i could make 79 percent of people hate me if i get the 20 21 percent that's going to guarantee that i'm getting more than everybody yeah. else then i'm good to go and that's and that's really yeah, it's it's really a shame. And you this, lose the moderates, you, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. And 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 I think this actually allows for you know subtle differentiation, but for somebody to say, yeah, like this guy maybe hits five of five for me, but this guy hits four or five, and I would way rather have four or five than no zero of five. Whereas yeah. that the the extreme the extreme candidate is doing that. And really, it gives people ownership over candidates that they maybe weren't their first choice, but they were still happy to see mm-hmm. get elected. And I think that's <clears throat> something that we don't, as a like that point. country, yeah. kind of talk about a lot, is that, like, we need... And, you know, you heard this a little bit with Donald Trump. I think it was a little bit... I think it's a little bit of a tougher sell in that kind of situation, but you want your elected officials to succeed, Right, like you want things to work and you yeah. want government to yeah. make successful decisions, but if you're in a situation where it's like I'm voting for this guy or I'm voting against that guy, yeah. then if the guy I voted you know against wins, I want him to do terribly. Yeah. That's like cutting my nose off to spite Absolutely. my face. Right, I think that's a really good point, and if and it gives potentially more hope after the election, right? If Hey, my first person didn't win, but my second did, or even my third did. You're like, all right, I can. I was kind of with that person anyway. I can get on board with this, and mm-hmm. and builds more of a consensus coalition going forward. Um, and even often now we come down to it's just like a two person race because you know that hey, I can't beat the incumbent. But if if you knew that the ranked choice voting system existed, you're gonna have more voices get in the race because then it doesn't need to be like I just need to beat the incumbent, but I need to gather a certain number of votes that I could in a field of four or five as opposed to just competing with the overwhelming like treasure chests of incumbents yeah so that may be a question and potentially uh, uh, an issue with ranked choice voting is does it encourage 
maybe too many people in any given race to feel like you know i i could get enough of these second place votes that like you know if there are 20 candidates then right we go through by the time we get to the fourth choice i'm everybody's fourth choice. (laughs) that i mean potentially there are repercussions but i think you're right i think in general we have so much more to gain than we do have the problem right now is not that we have too Too many many voices right Right. like i mean i think if that's the problem then that's I think a good thing and maybe something that we look back on in 10 years and say, all right, we might need to limit it in some way. But I think any way to get more voices in this conversation, the political process would be a win. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is Maine is the only state right now that currently has ranked choice voting. It would be Massachusetts has been a leader for a lot of issues uh, nationally. And And it does feel like, you know, as much as I love Maine, that Maine's kind of up there doing their own thing. If Massachusetts adopted ranked choice voting, I really do think that would be a big deal and states similar in Massachusetts. Maybe it just starts with, you know, Connecticut and Rhode Island, but maybe it gets out to Washington and California. And one of those things like when when we started with, you know, uh, legalizing gay marriage or we were towards the top of uh, front of um, legalizing marijuana, like these sorts of things seem to snowball once Massachusetts gets involved. And, you know, I I would be hopeful that this is something where Massachusetts is again uh, at the forefront of, of making change in our country. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Alright, so now that we've done the questions, we're you know, fairly briefly, I hope, going to talk about some of the, the races on the ballot. And it's going to be brief because, um, unfortunately, there's not a ton of competition in, in any of these races that we're about to talk about. So uh, Massachusetts has nine congressional districts, so nine um, representatives in the House. All nine of our representatives are currently Democratic. There's no expectation that that's going to change on November 3rd. Um, in fact, four of the races right now are uncontested in favor of the Democrat. Uh, there are five races in which there are Republican candidates running, um, some of whom I've, I've met out there and think highly of, but none of the races are competitive. I actually have a stat for you that I think you'll find interesting. All right, here's a question for you. What percentage of registered voters in Massachusetts are Republicans, registered Republicans? Mm, 40%. So you think it's like 60-40? Uh, you're right there. I'm just smiling because 9.8%. Are registered Republicans? Oh, because they can't vote in any Democratic primary if they're Republican. Right. Yeah. Okay. So only 9.8%. Do you know how yeah. many, what percentage are registered Democrats? Like 70 then? 32. Oh, everyone else is independent. Right. Yeah, that's what I am. Yeah, so am I. Um, but I couldn't, it doesn't shock me that, you know, close to 60%-ish of Massachusetts is a registered independent. Yeah. Uh, but. I think it, everybody likes to think of themselves as an independent, though. For so. sure. And it gives us, like, freedom to vote, I think yeah. you say, in both primaries right. if, if we want to. Um, I wonder how many people actually take advantage of that, you know, and say, right, I'm an independent, but I always vote Democrat. Yeah. I, mean, I always vote Republican, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but not to go back on the ranked choice voting, but the fact that so few that the majority of people in Massachusetts are not registered to a political party would theoretically make it a state right for right choice voting and independent candidates. But uh, my point is, is that in lieu of talking about any of the, the five quote unquote competitive you know, house races, it's, it's not really worth talking about because these Republicans are not getting elected. And 
uh, yeah, I guess I don't really have a point there, but I don't think it's good uh, for our system, for our country, that we have nine Democrats that are just going to walk into office. And a couple of them face primary challenges that, you know, that we had mentioned, but that these uh, people, many of whom we might not be able to name, you might not, many people might not be able to name their, you know, House, their congressional representative in their district, are, are going to walk into office for two more years and, and make really important decisions without facing a legitimate primary challenge, um, general election challenge. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. You Like, could I tell you where Stephen Lynch stands on any, like, the first time I think I've ever heard him speak in Congress was when he was, like, talking about the Postmaster General and, like, he's what big was into going the post on with office. him. He's huge into the Post he Office. He is. He has been for years, actually, oh, okay. to be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I didn't, I didn't know that. I really, I know absolutely nothing about him yeah. other than I see his, his lawn signs out on a, on a decent amount. But, yeah, I mean, if you don't face primary challenges, we, we talked about this with, with Markey as well, even within his own party to face a challenge. Like, you can't... <clears throat> you have no platform to articulate ideas and nobody's challenging you on your ideas so really like what are we electing um i think it does in part talk about our our system so like let's put ranked choice voting aside the fact that if i'm a registered democrat i can only ever vote in democratic primaries is frustrating because if you know if there are only going to be two candidates one's a democrat and one's a republican I would want to say in who the Republican candidate is well in is as well, and I think the argument is well, you know, Democrats voting in Republican primaries would try and sabotage it and only put up the person you think we could lose, and it's like that's a crazy gamble that I certainly don't think I would take, right? Like, let alone like an overwhelming majority right, that's going to like significantly people, impact a race, right? You know? I mean, yeah. we don't even know who our elected officials are, let alone. Are we going to know well enough who, like, the the other field is potentially yeah. fielding to figure out who might be the worst challenger that we could put up? Anyways, whatever. I, I'd say that all to say that, like, I think people should be out there voting for the sort of the people that they feel like represent the best <clears throat> interests. It's like it almost feels like they should get assigned a party afterwards or they should go to Congress and pick Some a party have that. Get it's, there. it's not it's not party based. It's not party yeah. based. Yeah. Something to think about. Next next 2020 ballot question. 2020 ballot question. Yeah. If the once ranked choice voting fails, I guess. Yeah. Don't be so negative. <laughs> uh, so what we will I, I do think it's worth mentioning I uh, with uh, representative Kennedy Kennedy stepped up to challenge uh, Senator Markey and he had to give up his seat to do so. So we will have a new uh, representative in Massachusetts. It's going to be Jake Auchinloss. Auchinloss? Auchinloss. Yeah, thank you. Um, I've never really known how to say his name, but so it, not to Tough. pencil him in, because there is a Republican challenger, um, Julie Hall. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's not like he's going to walk in, but he's totally going to walk in. So there, there will be uh, at least some change, but again, we'll have nine Democrats as our House caucus. Um, and then the Senate race, which we talked extensively about the primary so the race there is, you know, Markey, who, who was the incumbent and who, um, who, who beat out uh, Kennedy's challenge, and on Kevin O'Connor is the Republican challenger. Do you know much about him? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, yeah, I, it's frustrating. He's Irish. I can tell that. Yeah, yeah, there you go. He's actually he also he's a Trinity guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so near and dear to my like heart. Uh, <laughs> he's 
run what I think is a pretty good race. You know, he challenged Markey, demanded seven debates from Kennedy, and then O'Connor tried to demand the same thing, and Markey gave him one. I mean, I, and it's like one of those things. I don't blame Markey for like why give this guy name recognition when you're just going to walk into office. On the other hand, it's frustrating that most people probably don't know who he is. Yeah. Um, whether or not you agree with his policies, I think you know for a U.S. Senate seat, we should ideally have like a legitimate race happening. But um, so Marky O'Connor for the the Senate seat, um, and then obviously we have the presidential election. And again, Biden's going to to dominate here in Massachusetts. Trump will get probably a, a sizable percentage. I mean, all the like Republicans going out will vote for Trump. Um, do you have anything to say about the presidential election? here in Massachusetts about your vote or anything? No. Uh, no. All right. Well, then, I, I do want to make a case, and I mentioned her a couple times earlier. Uh, Joe Jorgensen is the Libertarian candidate. Uh, do yeah, you know? I heard you drop that name. I've never heard that <laughs> before. My it life. was intentional because I, I knew was it. Like, I was like, I'm not <laughs> sure he's mispronouncing Gary Johnson, but I don't Gary think Johnson he's running Gary Johnson is 2016. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Jorgensen is the Libertarian candidate, and I do want to make a, uh, a pitch for her. And one kind of uh, practical procedural pitch, and then one as for her as the candidate. Uh, one, you know, if you're living in, you know, 35 states in the United States, your, your ballot doesn't really matter. Whether you kind of, that may be a larger conversation argument that we want to have, but the vast majority of states, we know that Trump's going to win or Biden's going to win. And certainly here in Massachusetts, Biden's going to win. Your vote on that or my vote on that doesn't matter. In order to stay on the ballot for the next cycle, uh, third-party candidates need to get at least like three percent of the vote. I might be missing that by by a slight amount, but in every state, candidates need to get a certain percentage of the vote in order to keep their party on the next presidential ballot or the next Senate ballot or whatever. And so, I do think if you're if you're looking at Trump and Biden and you're saying, "Hey, I don't like any one either one of these guys. I don't feel passionately about either one of them. I definitely don't want Trump to win." But I know Biden's going to win here in Massachusetts. It might be worth giving Joe Jorgensen a look. Uh, she is like an incredibly intelligent woman. She has a PhD. She's like a, a lecturer at Clemson University from South Carolina. Um, but I don't believe in the entire libertarian platform. But if they're, if you're someone that believes both in like marriage equality and gun rights, like the Libertarian Party candidate is for you. Like if you believe in you know, lower taxes and, and smaller government and not having ballooning deficits and believing in science, like things that traditionally go either Republican or Democrat. I do think the Libertarian Party does meld both of them together. So I would encourage people who don't feel particularly passionately about Biden and know he's going to win anyway to give you know Joe Jorgensen a look. Yeah, I think I in in general, I'm not going to disparage anybody voting for a third party candidate because I've long advocated for even even guys like Ralph Nader yeah. um, going back to 2000 I'm I've I've always been in favor of of more uh, more voices just getting an opportunity out there and I I think we've talked about at, at length about how our two party system is really failing to um, adequately represent like the majority of people that may fall on both sides. So I, I, I don't really have any problem with that. I, I would say I, I've long thought about 
yes, for the Electoral College, um, votes in Massachusetts don't really matter. I think there is something to say, though, or something to be said, though, for um, kind of like a landslide in the popular vote. I know that it doesn't actually do anything, um, like, you know, from a technical standpoint, um, but I think it is going to be important in this election um, that if Biden wins, he wins by a big margin. And so votes, votes in Massachusetts, votes in California, although from an electoral college standpoint, you're absolutely right, are not going to do anything. Um, like a 51 to 49 is not a good result on the popular vote. And I think it, it, it takes away from a lot of what we've been saying that most people feel a certain way. Um, and when we say most, we don't really tend to think of most as in like one more than the other people have. It's like, you know, we think about a majority as like a, a as like a big uh a big swath Mm. of the country and i think um i think in and and this is not to say in your heart of hearts if you if you're if you feel more you know if you read if what the libertarian platform and what miss jorgensen what she's saying resonates more with you doctor doctor, i'm sorry I'm sorry. Um, yeah, if if that resonates more with you, you should absolutely vote for yeah, her. Yeah. I think I think so, one hundred percent. But if not, um, I don't think people should think that their votes are wasted, no matter where they are. I mean, we can have the. I don't even know if if we'll, we debate the electoral college. I mean, I think it's a, it's a ridiculous system that I'm hoping <laughs> within ten to fifteen years we figure it out. But I doubt we'll we'll ever do anything about it. Yeah, that, that's a good point and totally fair. I don't think I, I gave that, what you just articulated, um, much thought. And yeah, I, I guess there's there's not nothing else we have to say. Uh, we're going to vote the same way on the two questions, it looks like. Uh, I assume you'll vote for Markey again. I'll vote for O'Connor. Um, Steve Lynch is both of our representatives, so mm-hmm. District 8. Woo. Uh, <laughs> so we'll vote both, both for Lynch and, as I mentioned before, you know, I worked for him before, so I'm really happy for him. I think he's a you know the type of moderate Democrat I would love to see more of. And then President, you'll vote. Biden, baby. Yeah, I'll vote for Jorgensen. So um, some agreement and some split. And the biggest thing, we're less than two weeks to the election. And for anybody who's listening to this, I'm sure you're probably already voting. But if you're ever on, on the fence, I do hope everyone makes a plan and uh, goes and votes. There's so much early voting here in, in Boston and Massachusetts, and you can still mail in a ballot. And you know, obviously, I really do love going to vote on Election Day, and we'll probably still do that this year. So um, a bunch of chances to go vote, and, and I certainly hope that whatever your political beliefs are, you do go out and vote um, on November 3rd. Cheers.
With nothing in their bellies but the fire down below They died building the railroads, they worked up bones and skin They died in the fields and factories, names scattered in the wind They died to get here a hundred years ago, they're still dying now The hands that built the country were always trying to keep out There's diamonds in the sidewalk, the gutters last song 